out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest this week. It's going to be the turn of evergreen days because I recently spoke to one half of the combo, Elizabeth Bruce, to find out more about life, love, poetry and all that other groovy stuff. Uh, Mark Turrell was the other member who I interviewed a few months ago. Anyway, this is the one with Elizabeth or Liz to her friends. So after several minutes of interest and but casual chat, we get down to the exciting subject of the early formative years. Liz, it's over to you. Well, I mean, I had several. I mean, starting when I was very like a child, I loved like Dave Brubeck, <laughs> Dave Brubeck and the swinger, swingle singers. And yes. so, so I've had a huge uh, influence of music since I was a child. But um, when in the 90s in college, um, I was really interested in the Cocteau Twins. And I, I got really into the Cocteau Twins. I was like, kind of obsessed. And so when I heard Mark's music, I just was like, whoa, it just really electrified me. I just thought it was beautiful. And, and I really wanted to be part of it. Yeah, well, absolutely. And did your parents, did they give you any kind of um, guidance or influence or did they, were they kind of into musical art or culture that sort of influenced your early years? Oh, definitely. My father it was a piano player for many, many years. He had a huge piano in the living room and used to play almost every night after dinner. Um, we have a very musical family. Some people play the bagpipes. Some people play the fiddle. Yeah, we've got a lot of music in my family. Yes. Uh, the whole family. Mm-hmm. There you go. And were you, as a, as a young person, were you given uh, music lessons or singing lessons? Did you, did you have quite a musical fa- uh, childhood? Yes, I did. I had music. I started off with piano. I had a little bit of violin lessons, clarinet lessons, a whole bunch of lessons. I, I can't say that I play uh, instruments very well, but I have been exposed and had lessons in several different instruments. Um, but piano is probably my strongest one. Yes, absolutely. Um, and yeah. in this country, obviously, you know, the, the 70s was quite an interesting decade after the sort of the glory years of the 60s with, you know, there was heavy metal, there was prog rock, there was pub rock, there was disco, there was all sorts of stuff. And then obviously punk. So what was your 70s like? Were you, because I was a bit too young to really go through the musical I don't know. I suppose I was into Top of the Pops and and, and what was on the top 20 charts. But um, things like punk, I was a bit too young for. What was your kind of journey in the 70s? Well, I think about the same as yours because we have around the same birth date. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, so I grew up listening to my parents' music. And they were very into yeah, the Beatles, uh, Carly Simon, Joni Mitchell, um, uh, piano players and uh, jazz musicians so I was very much influenced by jazzy music with a lot of harmony and my father was very good and we used to sing together my father and I he played piano I'd sing with him uh jazz I in the 90s I also did a lot of um music with jazz clubs in New York City and even in England I sang in a few jazz clubs so I'm very uh, I guess jazz was a big influence from a jazz beginning. was the one Dave Brubeck and um, I suppose was it people like Miles Davis and John Coltrane and and Bill Evans and people like that were were you into that kind of world of jazz um more like the 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 women singers actually I was really uh, interested like Julie London yes Julie Lennon, I just was hypnotized by that kind of smoky sound. And uh, I think I've been sort of 
trying i love that sound that's yeah that's jazz yeah. smoky jazz sound of a female singer so when you got to the when we got to the wonderful 80s which in the uk was you know probably quite different to the american sort of 80s in the sense it well i say that you know we had thatcher you had reagan you know we were some of us were worried about sort of the end of the world and a nuclear war and stuff like that but then you know also in this country we had I suppose there was a lot of unemployment and and there was a lot of kind of um I suppose in the early 80s there was there was things like Greenham Common where there was that kind of great sort of worry about sort of nuclear arms in Greenham and then um so there there was that but then there was also there was a lot of unemployment you know especially on the left of center and so a lot of people who became you know in bands during the 80s most of them started off signing you know sort of signing on unemployment and getting job seekers allowance so i think that was one of the reasons there were so many indie bands what was your 80s like hmm. um well in the 80s i guess i was in junior high school high school sort of time and um, i was very influenced by the police and uh by prince <laughs> i like the music of prince i like the police i like uh, Joni mitchell all the all the folk singers i was very interested in um carly simon um anything that sounds very um Harmonic. Uh, uh, Annie Lennox was a huge influence to me. The Eurythmics. Um, yes. Dave Petty. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Yeah. Did you say Dave Petty or Tom Petty? I'm sorry. I meant Tom Petty. Sorry. <laughs> I thought, oh, yes, sorry. I followed that. Yeah, because actually Joni Mitchell was one of the soundtracks of my 80s period. I think I was just, I, I, I didn't, I was a bit... I didn't really, I mean, in the 70s, you don't really have that much easy access to listening to music. But my brother had one of those books that you, that, you know, one would get like essential albums and there would be like um, um, Van Morrison, you know, Moondance and Astral Week. So, you, you know, I found, managed to get those, those ones. And there was other, other kind of people that I was fascinated by, but it was Joni Mitchell's Caught and Spark and Blue and then The Hissing mm. of Summer Lawns, um, that kind of work that she did. And then that led on to Carol King's Tapestry album. Them. So I loved all that kind of sensitive singer-songwriter stuff. It's mainly because in the late 60s and early 70s, my mum, you know, would have Radio 2 on, which I suppose was, you know, soft pop. And it had people like the Carpenters and Burt Bacharach. So I, oh, I was very... I was a massive, and still am a massive fan of, you know, Karen Carpenter and the Carpenters' work, really. And then you mentioned, yeah, so during the eighties, yes, I was, I, I was very, I was very into indie pop. You know, that was my thing, and listening to John Peel show and stuff like that. And um, yeah, I suppose that was my coming of age. And then, mm -hmm. yeah, and then you mentioned Prince. So yes, I got into very wide variety. <laughs> yes, because the seventies were were just all these seventies and eighties had all these amazing new artists just bursting with creativity. Um, and I love Prince. I mean, what I love about him is the harmonics. He's got a huge sense of harmony, and any music that's got harmony, I love Earth, Wind, and Fire, for example. Right. I just love the harmony, the layering of harmony, which is also what I love about the Cocteau Twins is that layering of harmony. Yes, interesting. So when you got to sort of 18 in this country, that's when, well, most most people could leave at school at 16. Then 18 was like A-levels. And if you then wanted to go to university from the age of 18 to sort of 22, what was your kind of 80s? Did you Did you stay on at college and then, you know, move through the education system? Um, well, yes, I, I went to college uh, in 1987, graduated in 1991, and in my last year of school, I wanted to bust out of America for a bit, and I went to London, and that's how I met Mark. 
Right. So there you go. This was you were sort of doing one of those because um, degrees where you had a year abroad. Right. Ah, what was your degree in in America? English theater, <laughs> English theater, and I I wrote a big plan like oh I really want to study Shakespeare because I really wanted to go to England. So I, I I made this big proposal and I did actually a study on Shakespeare and theater of England. Oh, that's fantastic! You went to Stratford. Did you? What was your kind of first gigs that you went to in the kind of eighties period? The let's see, oh Devo. <laughs> I think Devo was one of my first uh, gigs that I went to. Devo and um, let's see, I'm trying to think. Um, what's her name? Uh, some other singer songwriters that aren't maybe that famous in the world, but um, uh, it's hard to co come up with them immediately. But uh, Devo was my my first one. Yes, God, that was amazing. So, do you, were you based in New York during the eighties then? Oh yeah. I lived my whole life in New York until uh, I graduated in 1991. And then I went to London for about two years. Right. So were you mm. kind of aware of things like, you know, like, I suppose it was more the 70s, like CBGBs and then Max's Kansas yeah. City and then the Mud Club and Danceteria and Studio oh, yeah, 54. I was there. I, was there. I, I danced, I danced. Yeah, I danced when I was very underage. <laughs> Right. I went to Danceteria. I went to all the clubs in high school. There, here comes my cat. Um, so I was at Danceteria, Studio 54, but I was quite underage. I wasn't supposed to be there. <laughs> no. But, but I loved I it. I love the music. Loved oh, my God. So you actually went to Studio 54? I did. I met Bear Jones. I, I, I was there. I didn't do drugs. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> God, I, I would have, heaven but, forbid. Uh, but, but, you know. but it was really wild. It was it wild. Was... I was so... I don't know. My parents, I, I guess I grew up in New York and I think they just gave me a very, uh, a lot of free reign. <laughs> and uh, I guess. Well, yes, it was amazing because over over Christmas, I watched a really interesting documentary on Studio 54, which I, I wasn't really that aware of. And disco was kind of one of those things that, to be honest, I'm not a real disco person. But anyway, confession time. Um, but then I was fascinated with the story of Studio 54 and the fact that these two guys ran it and they didn't really have an, uh, a drinks license for alcohol. Right. They didn't really pay any of their tax. So they got they ended up right. going to prison after, you know, just a right. very short time. But it was just an extraordinary club and um, absolutely wild. It was wild. And I I should not have been there, but I was about 14, 15 years old. And um, I just went with a friend and then there you go. And oh. I always looked a bit older, put on makeup. You know how it is. And they yeah, just wanted absolutely. ladies to go. So they let me in. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, and and I think, to be honest with that, you know, it's a sweeping statement, but I think women, at, well, at that age, probably girls are a little bit more, a little bit, much more mature than boys at that age. I don't think a 14-year-old boy would have got in quite as easily as a 14-year-old girl. That's my... That's my... I just wanted to dance. You that's just wanted I to really dance. So did, we, did dance. you, at that night, see any... And Was Andy Warhol there or Mick Jagger, Bianca? I never saw them, but I did um, I did meet Bear Jones. He's the one who had a lot of the parties. And uh, he said, how old are you? And I frankly told him my age, and he didn't bat an eyelash. Yes. <laughs> he just nice. Well, there you go. A, a good, good, upright and um, concerned adult there. Um, <laughs> that was before the worlds of DBS checks, really. Um, so, God, that's fantastic. I'm so pleased to have met someone. I met people who've been to Woodstock, even played there, but 
the dance, yeah. uh, Studio 54. I, you've cracked that one, actually. So then, yes, yeah, so you, you sort of got a ticket and came to London. So during that period, it was kind of interesting because did you, I mean, on the 80s front, because you would have been that age, um, were you interested in in those kind of bands like the Smiths? I always go on about the Smiths. Yes. I like the Smiths a lot. Uh-huh. Yeah, I love the Smiths, um, a lot of the M- Morrissey um, and so forth. Um, but really, I was I was pretty much influenced by the music of my parents, really, because um, then my father was always playing music on the piano or uh, playing his own records. Um, so living yes. in the Blimey, <laughs> I was that's fantastic. Music, you know? Did you mention Elton John there? El- oh, definitely. Elton John and Olivia Newton-John. Olivia, yes, God, I do love Elton. Actually, I love. Well, yeah. I love that early work of uh, "Goodbye Yellow Brick Road." I, I just thought that was, that was that was my that was my album that I would sneak into my brother's room to listen to and be really obsessed with. Side and side four, me. but apparently, you know, side four on "Goodbye Yellow Brick Road" is still kind of a masterpiece. And you're thinking, you know, yeah. there you go. That's my thing. And U two was a huge influence. U two, the band U two. Yes. And yeah, um, yeah. all of all the British musicians were just full of such energy and interesting music. I I was very influenced by a lot of the British sound. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised because you there was also people like Elvis Costello during that period as well. That was sort of prolific. Did you go and see many bands during your your 80s world? Because I suppose they were coming to America trying to crack the American market and then fail miserably. Not too much, actually. I I went to a pretty rigorous school. And so I, except for going to dance, <laughs> I didn't really do, go to a lot of um, concerts, except for I remember Devo. And yes. um, I think that's the only concert I went to when I was uh, in high school. Yeah, actually. it was interesting because I did go and see Prince on the Love Sexy tour. And then mm-hmm. the, the follow up one where he did. Um, well, I saw him three times, one in London, then Birmingham and then back in London, sort of. In the early 90s, it was just, he was just awesome, actually. He put right. everything there, you know, piano, guitar. I remember the Love Sexy tour, it was kind of in the middle, and there was a car, you know, he came in on a car, there was like all the performers were just going mad. It was just extraordinary. Right. Oh, but I didn't go to any big concerts, but New York is filled with CBGBs and all that downtown scene. So I went to a lot of gigs uh, for small bands or a lot of uh, small little pubs or bars or small club venues where I did see a lot of small bands like Suzanne Vega and so forth. I was going to just mention Suzanne Vega because I did an interview with quite a few people who played with her and even produced her first album and um, thinking they were going to sell like 20,000 copies. So they saw her playing. I wish I could remember his name, actually. Steve, uh, yeah, begins with A. Anyway, I should have had that rehearsed, shouldn't I? Anyway, and but they they were thinking, yeah, we really want to find a singer. And they saw Suzanne Vega and thought, oh, she, you know, she looks quite interesting. We'll put the, we'll do her first album. Actually, Lenny Kay was also part of that as well. Um, so did you go and did you manage to see her live before she had the album or around the time the album was coming out, the first album? Around the time her album came out. And actually she went to I went to Barnard College and she also went to Barnard College. So she was a big influence for me as, yes. as, as a person. I know. God, that is amazing. Good old Suzanne Vega. Because, yeah, we had, there was Suzanne Vega, then there was Tracy, um, then, yeah, Tracy Chapman and Michelle Shocked as well. There was those three women that, that sort of came out with their guitars and songs, which just uh, blew our minds really at the time. So right. it was, they were really some of the first singer songwriters. Yes. Singer songwriters. 
which mm-hmm. were kind of our generation rather than some other decade. And it just seemed very exciting. And I, I can't believe now in the late 80s that Suzanne Vega was the main main act on the pyramid stage at Glastonbury, I think, on a for, on a Saturday night, which was just fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, those and, first couple of albums were just stunning. And actually, I just saw Suzanne Vega perform just about a month ago. Oh. She's still doing, <laughs> she's still you know, singing. She sounds great. Yes, and she did. Did she have the guitarist that was with David Bowie, um, Jerry? I think so. Jerry, somebody. I, I think so, but I, I don't remember the name. But I remember her mentioning that he was. You know, I think she mentioned that he played with him. Yeah, because um, yeah, I think she's got a few dates, and I think she's coming back to the UK next year, or no, this mm-hmm. year actually. <laughs> Come to me uh-huh. think about. It. Yeah, so then look, you land in you land in London, England. Um, I- Britain. Uh, yeah. So what did did being in the band, was that at all on your horizon, like things to do must become part of the indie pop scene? That totally was. I was oh. very determined as a young person. I really just want, I just ha- literally had a to-do list and my, I could have gone to Italy, uh, France for a tour, for a junior year abroad or a senior year abroad. And I really wanted to go to England because I knew I wanted to do music. Fantastic. So it was really on my to-do list. And I, I saw Mark had an ad in Melody Maker and he said, you know, Cocteau Twins and uh, the Sunday's influence. I was like, yes. <laughs> and then he sent me his cassette and I was like, yes. Yeah, it was just so beautiful, his music. I found it beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. God, that's fantastic. So, God, this is like one of those Hollywood films, isn't it? So you sort of, you met in, you sort of met in the bar in London after the advert or somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then... Right, right. Immediately, up, yeah. Sorry, actually, I went up to his uh, his place in Les in Seiston, Seiston, where it is near Leicester, and uh, you know he just showed me his gear and we tried out some of his songs. He had a microphone and he had a really good gear, so I was able to try um, singing over some of his tracks. And I guess we just sort of connected because uh, we liked the way each other sounded. You know, oh, that's music. brilliant. That is just mm-hmm. beautiful. What a great story. And had you yeah. sort of looked at other, you know, had you been looking through any of the ads and seen any other potential bands or artists you wanted? Was it just literally you hit the, you hit, you know, gold in the first phone call? Oh, that's true. I did have one other, uh, one other band. I was in a cover band when I was in London because I wanted to just be in a cover band. So it was not very good. <laughs> we sang just uh, anything, um, but I was in a cover band. Uh, that was my first band that I was in in England. Yeah, and then I met Mark. After and that. then you met Mark. That, then it all happened because that period that that was kind of interesting because because the during that eighties period you know like indie pop between the years of eighty three to eighty seven which I love because that was the years of the Smiths was a, there was a special energy and then obviously the Smiths break up and then an, another generation of sixteen eighteen year olds come along and ecstasy appears so suddenly there's a dance scene and then you had the Seattle grunge scene so actually the music that Mark and you started to make was quite out there wasn't it i mean there was sarah records and there was also you know kind of the world of shoegazing but your music much was much more sort of you know introspective um acoustic music wasn't it so you were quite on your own on this front that's kind of true right um i think also what i liked was mark wasn't really that 
he didn't mind whatever I wanted to sing. He said, go ahead. He said, whatever lyrics, it was okay. And I kind of like the Cocteau Twins thing that the, some of the lyrics are a little uh, obscured. And I, I kind of like that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So can you remember your first kind of time in the studio? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because um, I was just coming off of a big breakup <laughs> when I arrived in England. And so I was coming off of a big breakup. Uh, and uh, he wrote this song called Thrown Away. Yes. Well, that, that's the lyric, and that the, that's the first, first thing I heard, and I was like, "Yes, I want to sing that." <laughs> I, I could because it's such a sad melody, it's such a sad guitar song, and I just like I totally want to write the lyrics to that. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. So, with the two the the working relationship, did Mark do the music and lyrics, or did he do the music and then you combine for the lyrics? Well, the lovely thing is he was basically doing all of the music the guitar the drums the pedal everything and he really let me do everything i needed to do by myself with the lyrics and the melodies he really let me have free reign on that side which is good because i'm kind of shy so it was if he had criticized me i probably would have quit <laughs> yes what well, he, no. he, he just sort of let me do my thing and i was like great i'm just gonna sing whatever i want i'm gonna do whatever i want and he's not gonna mind so that was uh, it really worked for me <laughs> worked what a well decent chap so when you because yeah. you did a the first album which was called cloud beams in your eye which came out in 1992 that was all recorded in mark's studio was it that's right uh-huh can you remember yeah. much about the sessions did it was it over a period of time or was it quite intense kind of couple of weeks um no it was about it was about six months or so. Um, I was at the end of my um, my college, and then I started at the end of my college, and then I kept every weekend I'd go up to his uh, house in Syston, and we re we would record there in his garage or wherever it was, his, his home studio. Fantastic. Yeah. It does sound yeah, stunning. Whole, I think it was six months. Mm -hmm. Six-month project. And then when the album, when you got the album, did you play many live dates at this stage? Um, unfortunately, we didn't because I didn't. I was just getting out of college. I didn't really know where I wanted to live or what I wanted to do. So I went back to New York, and eventually he ended up going to San Francisco. And then I went to San Francisco too to do a gig with him. So we did a gig or two in San Francisco. Yes, in about 1992 or 1993. Right. So your first your first one was not in England, was it? It was. It was kind of right. Yes. Have you ever played live in England as a as as the band? Just a cover band. I used to sing like really. I sang Annie Lennox. I got to have some, but it was a very male dominated band I was in. So a lot of the songs I didn't get to choose. I did sing U two. I got to sing a good Bono. Good. That's that's always good to do actually. Because <laughs> well, I mean, I've been playing the the you know your material, and it's got a beautiful quality to it. The vocal, the music, you know, the musicality to it. The the lyrics are wonderful. You must have been really excited when you sort of heard the the sort of the final cut and mix, and thought, God, that's what we've done. Yeah, I was. I was very proud of it. And and I'm very grateful to Mark because he really is the engineer. He does it all. He, he knows how to put it all together. And um, I, it's, I, I was happy with it. Yeah, absolutely. And then sort of after 92, then then what happens? You go back to New York. He's right. he's not not in New York. What what happens with the musical direction then? Well, the, the great thing is he's very he was very good to send me. Um, he would send me cassettes. And I would write lyrics, I would play the cassettes, I would write lyrics, and then I eventually got a four track, and I was able to, like, 
put down some uh, vocals to that and he was able to mix it down. And then he moved to San Francisco, I think it was 1994. And then I started going back and I think I went to San Francisco maybe four or five times uh, to do a recording or uh, some live gig. Yes. Between like 1995 to 2000. Fantastic. because But you do a three-track EP single, don't you? Sort of right. Ocean Beach, which is an EP. So this is on Elephant Records, isn't it? How did that release come about? Right. I guess, um, Mark, uh, we were written up in some Spanish newspaper or something. And I guess they got wind of us because of the Spanish newspaper. Uh, and the, unfortunately, we wanted to, they offered us a contract. But I guess we felt like we didn't want to do it because they were going to take the master's. And Mark was pretty adamant, like he didn't want anyone to have his master's, you know, no. his master uh, rights, rights to the master tapes. So unfortunately, we did, did decline that. Um, but, you know, they put a, a 45 uh, CD for us, a record yeah. for us. And had you been influenced by any other kind of those bands that had come out from these sort of late 80s, early 90s that were on Sarah Records, people like the Field Mice and... There was Heavenly with Amelia Fletcher. Were any of those bands an influence to you? Because they were quite an interesting mix, often with quite a few, I suppose, female musicians and singers. Lyrically, they were much more poetic. Did Were anybody of that kind of stable genre sort of influence in the band? Mm-hmm. Um, probably on Mark's side, there might be. Um, on my side, I really come from such a, a, a weird, eclectic mix of from my father and my whole family of uh, jazzy type music that um, that was more my bent, I guess, more my angle coming over to England. Yes. So I didn't have much, except for the Cocteau Twins was really my first, um, well, one of my first really uh, indie bands that I really loved. Yes. What was your favorite Cocteau Twins album, by the way? Oh, the first one. What's it called? Uh, uh, the first one. You know, the- the one that I got, I can't remember. I remember getting Treasure and being very obsessed with Treasure, which I don't think was their first album. But um, um, was it Gay Garland? Ups, right. So that was there was a there was a single, wasn't it? And then I think that was on a collection of early material, mm-hmm. Garlands or something like that. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. I just remember being very mesmerised because oh yeah, we also had Everything But the Girl, which was another one of those oh, bands. I love them. Oh, that's but, a great band. So there was mm-hmm. the, yeah, and being obsessed with John Peel at that stage of my life, anything mm-hmm. that he played was like, oh, yes, I like that. And then, yeah, that was interesting. So then in the, in sort of two, so 2000, no, 1992, you bring out the album, then the single comes out, EP. And then what happens for the rest of the decade as we, in this country, we have, you know, the John Major years and then New Labour. What, what was it like in New York at this stage for you? Did you have Bill Clinton at that stage? Or Bush? Um, I think that was Clinton. That the Clinton was, I think it was Clinton, wasn't it? Um, but New York itself was pretty crime ridden. And then in came Giuliani. And Giuliani, he did a great job getting rid of the crime and cleaning up Times Square. But mm. that also got rid of a lot of the, the vibe of New York. So um, New York got really cleaned up in the 90s by Giuliani, um, which is a good thing and a bad thing. Yes. Uh, because uh, eventually uh, all the everything became super duper expensive in New York City. Um, so that was my 90s experience was uh, just pretty much being in high school. And uh, no, 90s was after high school. But I'm really just trying to make it on my own as a, you know, a teacher in New York City yes. and doing gigs. I had another band here with us, another singer songwriter. And we were together for about two or three years. Oh, wow. 
Did you get to release any material with the the other musical combo? Um, Unfortunately not. Uh, I was basically like the backing singer, the harmony singer. And uh, basically by the time we got our our stuff together, I was ready to leave because I went to um, Tokyo in um, 2000. Right. My goodness. You're going. Yeah, I I met somebody and I fell in love and I was like, this is it. This is it. Not playing any more games. So I I moved to Tokyo for two years. Nice. Tried it out. Cultural differences were a little bit too vast. And and I was talking on the phone to Mark. He's like, listen, he's like, this is your last chance. He's like, if you want to do music, you better get yourself over here now. I said, okay. I was like, you know, it's not going very well here. So maybe I'll just jump over a nine hour flight and and uh, that's what happened. So get the, get the, the band back on the road. Fantastic. Yeah. What were you teaching in New York or Tokyo? What was your subject? I was a college professor for um, English. I taught but, but very like remedial writing or reading uh, right. for college students. Nice. Writing. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's like excellent. College. So good. The good thing is, you got the call. You got the call from from Mark, and then you were back onto the the next album. And this one is called Broken Road. Right. This right. is it. So again, was this recorded in San Francisco and New York? Right. All in San Francisco. Blimey. So was it the case that he had written the material, sent you copies, and you sort of added bits yourself? Um, basically, I think Broken Road, basically, he sent me the uh, the material. I, I thought I had a, a mixer, a four track, and I would write ideas and send it back to him and he would yes or no it. And so we sort of sent tapes back and forth, cassette tapes, really. Um, we would send back and forth. And um, then I went over to San Francisco in about 1996. And then we recorded it properly in his home studio. Oh, that's fantastic. I love the cover as well. Who who put the artwork together for that particular release? Um, I believe that one was just a photo, right? That's a little blurred. Yes, it looks like it had been like a photo, but then painted with watercolors. Yeah. I think that's Mark's computer uh, program that he was able to make it look like a watercolor. Nice. I love your Mm. sense of romantic melancholia, which is a great combination. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, I think Mark has some of that in his guitar playing, too, which I also uh, connect with. Yes. And all the lyrics, all the... I was going to say this, the song, the songs all have such sort of sad titles, like Simply Pretending, Sorry Little Heart, Wishing You Well, No Happy Ending, Um, (laughs) you know, Wide Open to Love, Crazy Ways. I mean, all all sort of very sort of angst-ridden poetry. Well... Uh, yeah, it, it's it's been a rocky road, uh, I guess. It's it's a little bit, you know, life is a rocky road, right? Yes. Happy days, bad days, and um, love is certainly not an easy navigation. So no, my God, <laughs> it's it's one of the even with a sat nav, you can end up crashing in yeah. a lake. But anyway, look, and were you pleased with the final the final mix and and release of that one? Very much. I'm very happy with that one. I think it's one of our best because I think I was a little bit more mature and I'd been through a lot. And uh, so I think I had a little clearer idea of lyrics, what I wanted to say. Yeah, nice one. And on that particular release, what was your sort of, your sort of, uh, if you were to pick a couple of the kind of favorite tracks on the album? Oh, I have to remember, which was, I think it's uh, Le Petit Ange. I think that's on the one, right? 
Yes, the it's the last the last track, the eleventh track on the album. One of my favorite ones. Actually, oh, nice. one of, uh, Sorry, little heart is another one. Blimey! Really like. nice. Simply pretending, I really like. Yeah, I mean they are stunning. I do love you know what you and Mark have created actually musically. I hope I hope more people get to discover it actually. So then that came out two thousand two thousand and three. Did you manage mm-hmm. to play any live dates in San Francisco at this stage? Um, yes, I believe we did. I can't remember the name of, of all the places. I'm sure Mark has a better memory than I do. Um, but yeah, we did play uh, about four gigs or so in San Francisco. Um, you know, Mark's a very busy person, his family and a, a super high profile job. So, I mean, he, he has limited time. But um, yeah, I, I we did about four gigs, I believe, uh, with a span of two years or so in San Francisco during those years. Uh, and unfortunately, then um, I came back to New York and uh, I've been here ever since. Yes. But then you bring another album out only a couple of years later. So you're obviously on quite a creative role at this stage. Mm-hmm. Um, we did. I think I, Mark and I did a lot of really good songs when we I was over there. I think he was a little bit unhappy with the quality of um, some of the recording, which is why it was delayed. But yeah, I guess he wanted to do a, a completely 30 year anniversary of um, of all of our gigs and all of our live uh, performances, which I think is a great idea. Yeah, absolutely. So that um, ne- your third album, this is the mm-hmm. one which is the AM sounds of evergreen dazed. So was this also written, recorded in San Francisco as well? Yes, all of them were recorded with Mar- at Mark's studio, home studio in uh, San Francisco. Yep. Yes. And again, there's some quite interesting ones, Long Gone for Vinnie Riley. Can you remember recording that one? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, the, I, originally I wrote lyrics to it, but I think it became just a, I think it's just a instrumental, yes? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. Just... I did write some lyrics, but I think it was uh, we decided against them. <laughs> yeah. And with with that kind of work relationship game, was it the sense of just swapping files between each other to um, sort of come up with different ideas? Well, basically, he would give me a cassette. At the time, there were cassettes, mostly. Uh, is, uh, yeah, basically. And so I would just listen and listen to his music and just get inspired and just dash off lyrics as much as I could. And I would try them out. And sometimes we usually agreed like some when lyrics were not good. And so uh, on the case of Long Gone, we decided it was more beautiful to just have the guitar featured. Yes. God, that's such a great song, actually. I do love what you've done. And then after that, the band has been sort of there hasn't been a lot more material. That's nearly nine years now, eight years ago. So is there any, so what's what's happened with the band since then? Um, well, I think, you know, Mark was, Mark is very methodical. And I think he really wants to put out our old stuff before he got new stuff cooking. So he, it took him quite a while to get all the old stuff together. And um and I think that even some songs that we recorded in 2002, 2003, that I don't know if we'll ever, ever put out. I, I, I'm not exactly sure why, but maybe the quality of the vocals or the lyrics are not good enough. Um, but recently, Mark has suggested that he has some new songs he might be sending to me. So Brilliant. I, I think I'm going to have to learn how to use Apple computer. <laughs> yes. <this laughs> is... <laughs> digital. Yes. Yeah, so, you have to get someone yes. to give you some a quick lesson on it. So, yes, because yes. most people, a lot of people I've been interviewing over the last five years, six years, 
I mean, you know, he played a lot of music and then they just had to get on with other parts of their life and just put this to one side. I have noticed there's been a little bit of a creep coming back into thinking, actually, I'd love to do some more recording again one day. Is that the case with this this band? You, you're both feeling a bit like, oh, at this age, at this time in life, it would be lovely to wow. to put some more stuff out. Well, well, ever since I got back to New York, I've been pretty much like a firecracker. I, I was part of several duos. I was part of several bands, actually, in the last 15 years in New York. But they just never did anything for me. Like, it, they would be good for, like, a certain amount of time. And it just never had the oomph that I felt with Mark in his music. Um, so when he suggested that we do songs together again, I, I was totally excited. Um, I am working a little bit with a, a singer-songwriter named Remy de la Rock. <laughs> and we've been working together. Uh, we had a duo in 2008 and to 2009, yeah. and we basically tight on harmonies. And uh, I'm going to start recording some of his songs. And I posted that on Facebook. I wonder if that's why Mark is getting the itch. Because <laughs> right. I said, I'm, going to, I'm just going to start recording somebody else's songs because I, you know, I need to sing. You know, I need to do music. And um, maybe Mark took that as a hint. Perhaps oh well, or... that's very exciting. So, <laughs> yeah. so with so all the information about what you're going to be doing is is that all on your Facebook page? Yes, I have a Elizabeth Bruce Facebook page that's open to the public, and um, I always post Evergreen Days every time. Uh, and also, Mark has a side project, his own his own electronica, uh, Nash Space Rocket. And I think he's brilliant. I just think it's just brilliant. I, I often post his songs on my page as well. Um, and uh, so I just, I just, I miss music so much. <laughs> so um, that's why I just, uh, luckily Remy does want to work with me. And he's he's a songwriting machine. And he's got billions of songs he's thrown to me. So um, basically I'm going to start recording. Actually, I think uh, in February I'm going to be recording. Some of those ones. And will that be the same kind of, kind of, way of bringing music out is via sort of band camp or some other sort of way like that Download, band camp uh, those will probably be the best ways at the moment mm -hmm. just putting on the well i mm -hmm. i really hope that um because i have you know i just think what i've heard of you know the material you've done um has just been beautiful and i just really hope that mark and yourself kind of get managed to find some time later on in the year or even during the sort of middle of the year and record some more material because it would be just great to hear some more stuff. You both work so well together. Thank you. So many people have said that. And it's really interesting to me because I I hear that. I mean, I was totally connected to his music when I heard it the first that time. But um, I'm, it's interesting that a lot of people say that, like you guys just fit somehow. And I think part of what how, why we fit together is because we're very, very different like mark is like super organized and and genius like in his music and i have a more flowery loosey-goosey kind of sound maybe and uh, but somehow it works i think I've been yes because a few probably last year or two years ago i did an interview with a woman called maura lambert who um she was the vocalist in that on the saint etienne song only love can break your heart even though she she does the singing but then she you know um we we think it's the other person who's got the photograph of the band and who's part of the band but then she was in another kind of uh, combo called mm -hmm. faith over reason do you remember i mean that that particular singer and her style of singing was is quite reminiscent to yours 
Oh, really? I, well, I love that song. <laughs> love will tear us apart again. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. no, it was um, Love Will Break Your Heart by Neil Young. Oops, <laughs> I don't know that song. Only Love Can Break Your Yes, that was the one. St. Etienne, they were one of those kind of bands from the 90s. But she was in a band called um, Faith Over Reason. And I just wondered if if that was one of those bands that you could relate, you know, you were influenced by or whether it was more Mark. I think it's more Mark. I mean, really, when Mark and I, uh, we're, we're, our musical influences are so different, but I'm really interested in what he's doing. And I guess he likes the sound of my voice. I don't think he likes my musical influences. <laughs> I mean, he, he thinks it's a joke that I like, you know, Prince or whatever. But um, but basically, um, I think we just connect on the sense that we both really like how the other person sounds. Yes, and it does. It does kind of complement itself. And also, Prince did write some beautiful ballads as well. I must admit. I mean, he did have a, you know, I mean, I don't know the the Sinead O'Connor, you know, track that he wrote was was just stunning, yeah, actually. Yeah, beautiful. And what? And are you still interested and and fascinated with jazz at all in in the New York scene? Not so much because I find it that when I was singing jazz, I just got sadder and sadder because all the jazz songs are really, really sad. And so I sang at the Village Gate. I sang, sang at all these like big jazz bars, but I found myself like becoming like a prototype of a jazz singer and I got really depressed. I was like doing all these clubs and stuff and I thought this is not good. And that's when I met Remy after that. And then we were singer-songwriter duo. Um, so uh, I was happy to get away from the jazz scene. I think it's it's a little heavy. Yes. Did you ever see another combo in New York called um, Donnie McGlaskin? McGlaskin? He was yeah. on David Bowie's uh, Black mm-hmm. Star album. He was the, you know, David, David Bowie had seen this uh, guy and his band playing and thought, God, I really like them. And he was, and they, they sort of basically got hired to work on David Bowie's last album before he sadly passed away. I just wondered if you ever saw Donnie McClaskin in New York at some jazz I club. I haven't, but um, yeah, again, I was just so young. I was just 25 or so or younger even uh, when I was doing those jazz gigs. Uh, I yes. think I finished jazz when I was about 26. Oh right, so that was your yeah. that was your Julie London period. I mean, if you could have whispered something to your like sixteen year old self starting out in music, is there anything in particular that you might have said? Oh yes, that would have been a good thing to have done. Study music. <laughs> I should have gone to music school. I really should have gone to music school. It was such a waste of time that I didn't. And um, my my high school advisor told me, she's like, she's like, what are you doing? She's like, you know, you're going to be a singer. I was like, well, but my parents want me to get a real job. And she was so angry at me that I didn't become a singer, just a full fledged singer. I'm still friends with her on Facebook. And she's just she's angry at me that I right. didn't just. Yeah, she's mad at me because she knew that was my strongest point was singing. I've always been a singer. Right. There you go. There you it's tricky. But anyway, you're still young. You can, you've still got decades, hopefully, to sort of make more music. So, yeah, And um, with the internet and the ability to sort of share music, hopefully, you know, because it's kind of, I always think with, with those records that one loves, I think it's almost like the planets have to sort of line up and then some magic happens. But it is just kind of almost like a one in a million chance, isn't it? And that that sort of meeting is a bit like, you know, Paul McCartney and John Lennon, Morrissey and Mar, you and Mark. It just sort of comes together and it doesn't often work with other people. 
So true. And uh, that's why I, I've been telling Mark all the time. It's like, if you write any songs, I'd be over the moon to sing anything that you write because he's got some electricity to like the way he plays just really resonates with me. I guess I can just say it yeah. just gives me goosebumps. When I first heard his first song, I think it was, um, let's say cloud beams in your eye or something with the lyrics I don't really like very much, but I called it cloud beams in your eye, that song, but the, the chords, the chords that he plays, it's this jingly jangly guitar. I just, I was like, what? I was like, what is this? It's just so beautiful. Yes. That was, yeah. It was electrifying to me, honestly. I know. I, know, yeah. I don't blame you. So we literally your... did. I literally put on the, the, I was dancing around my room like a lunatic. I was just like, this is so beautiful. It's like, this is what I have to sing. I was like, I have to sing this. Fantastic. I wish I were a better lyricist. I wish I were a better lyricist, honestly. Well, there's still time. There's never too late, is it? I mean, because of the three, you've done three albums. Which one is your kind of, has your happiest memories? Hmm. <laughs> well, perhaps um, the Broken Road one. I think, because I think we were both more mature and both more a little bit more settled in our lives. So I think we, we knew what we were doing more. So I think we, we'd been up together doing music for long enough together. So I think that's probably one of the ones I'm most proud of. And that, dear listener, is the end of the interview. A massive thank you to Elizabeth Bruce for giving me the time for that. If you want to find out any more, more information about the band, I will put the link in the notes below, go to Bandcamp, basically. And, um, yes, if you want to contact me on the C86 Show, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. And all these interviews have been archived, and you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam. It's true. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.